Welcome to Therapeutic Perspective Podcast. Our mission is to bring you current mental health information directly relevant to your clinical practice through engaging interviews with varied specialty experts. My name is Shonda Morales. As a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in the Northeast for over two decades, I know how important continuing education is, not only for professional growth and burnout prevention, but for our own personal self-care and sense of empowerment as well. Therapeutic Perspective is a continuing education provider, so stay tuned until the end of the show to learn how you can obtain NBCC continuing education credit hours for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Therapeutic Perspective Podcast. I am here with Stacy Mayer. She is a certified executive coach and promotion strategist on a mission to bring more diversity to the leadership table by doubling the number of women promoted to the C-suite each year worldwide. She is the author of the best-selling book, Promotions Made Easy, a step-by-step guide to the executive suite, and the host of the podcast, Maximize Your Career with Stacey Mayer, where she tackles topics like executive communication, getting more respect in the workplace from challenging bosses and team members, and avoiding the common mistakes that sabotage career advancement. Her dynamic coaching intensive executive ahead of time has helped hundreds of powerhouse corporate women get promoted into exec roles at some of the world's largest and most prestigious tech uh, technology companies. So thank you, Stacey, for being here. I'm excited to talk with you. Thank you. Sure. And tell us a little bit about who you are and the why behind your work. Ooh, I love that. That's so good. So let's go back in time. So I had a friend who was on The Amazing Race, and I I saw him, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. I went to grade school with him, and I reached out to him on Instagram and was like, hey, remember me? And he wrote me back, and not only did he say that he remembered me, he said that I had a huge impact on his life growing up. And I was like, what? Excuse me? And he said that I was the only person that saw him. And so I guess he was gay at the time in like first and second grade. And um, I really took a lot of pride of noticing who was being left out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think I've just always inherently done that and wanted to include people and make sure that their voice was heard. And that really touched me because I didn't actually realize at the time when he said that, I didn't realize that that's always been my why. Um, But he just sort of pointed it out. And I was like really kind of blown away and very humbled by that statement. And um, I realized that the work that I'm doing with women and people who don't look like the rest of the room is really motivated by the fact that we can self-internalize what's happening for us as being we're the challenge, we're the problem, it wasn't meant to be for us. And it's just incredibly obvious to me that that is absolutely 150% not the case. Mm. And, um, and so if that's, if that's why I do what I do, then that's it, right? It's like to be able to show women that not only do they deserve the money that they deserve, the recognition that they deserve, but the impact that they would really make once they got into those higher level positions and give them literally the tools 
to get into those higher executive positions. Oh, I love that. I love that little story. And it, it gave me goosebumps instantaneously because that is, I mean, oh, if, if we want nothing else for our kids and ourselves to be in the world, it's, it's kind. And to be able to see people and have them be seen and heard is amazing. And you're talking to a bunch of therapists. So yes, we get that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, our clients, specifically women who are high achievers and aspire to leadership roles, we can get stuck, those high achievers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their frustration can impact their self-image, their mood, their career, and trickle down to relationships outside of the workplace. So when you're doing this work, what are some of the most common struggles that women in leadership face? So I will uh, first point out, I'm going to go right to the solution, right? Which is how this is the struggle and the solution. So we've talked about the glass ceiling and not you and I, Shonda, but in the world of women's leadership. And really there, there's this invisible glass ceiling that we have to break through that we have to, I mean, it was like that whole concept never really um, inspired me because it felt like another job that I had to do as a woman. (laughs) I was like, okay, so now not only do I have to do everything else, but now I have to break a glass ceiling. Like it's it's just so daunting. Um, And, and so that, that is there, there is a barrier, right. To getting into higher level leadership positions. But you mentioned the, the word high achiever. And I actually think, Um, So there's a lot of challenges for women in particular, women of color to get into higher level leadership positions. And so I'm sure we're going to touch on that as well. But in this particular instance, this is the high achiever dilemma. And it actually works a lot for men and women um, because what it is, is basically based on the fact that what got us here, right? You've heard of that. What got us here, which is our subject matter expertise, which is our ability to work long hours, to solve, you know, save the day, to put out fires in the middle of the night. Um, So I call all of that the subject matter expert ceiling, Mm. right? So it's actually a ceiling and you've felt it because you see, you see it because your colleagues get promoted and they're not as smart as you, right? They're not putting out the fires in the middle of the night. They're sort of like, all of a sudden they're just climbing the corporate ladder and you're like over here solving everything for everybody. And And you're like, wait a second, what's happening? And that is the subject matter expert ceiling. And the reason why I like this imagery, even though it's much darker and more daunting (laughs) than a glass ceiling, it's not as pretty, um, is that it's um, solvable. Right. So I actually see it as a letting go process. So for women, we're not going to actually add one more thing on our plate. What we're going to do is we're going to start letting go of what we're good at. Mm. And so you spoke about the thing that is really keeping us stuck. And it's that idea that that we will get promoted, that we will get recognized for putting in more hours. And, and we've all been there at the end of the day after a, a couple of hard 60 hour weeks. And then we just are like defeated because we look and nobody gives us pats on the back. No. And if they do, it's just a pat on the back, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, good for you, Uh Stacy. And you're like, well, but I kind of thought I'd get a little more. (laughs) Um, and what's happening for us is that we're not only exhausting ourselves in in not the most useful direction, at least at this point in our careers, maybe earlier on when we were the subject matter expert or an individual contributor role, it was it was fine to, to do it that way. But at this point in our careers, we're exhausting ourselves and not actually putting our energy in the right place. 
And then the other thing is, is that we're showing executive leadership that we're not an executive leader. And the and just to simplify it, what we're doing is we're telling them that we can't scale, that we're already too busy, that we're already overworked, and nobody else can do our job as good as us. Mm. And so they're like, I've had I've had women actually be told that they couldn't get promoted because there was no one else to do their job. That's right. And you're like, right. what? Yes, yes. So, and that's a that's a hard one to wrap our heads around, isn't it? I mean, I, th- I think it is mm-hmm. reading this in your book of of we hang on to that identity, that um, being able to have all the answers and do it all and figure it out. And so, how do you how do you help women work through that to let go a little bit? Because that's super uncomfortable. So I think the first thing is to realize that there is a subject matter expert ceiling. And so what they kind of realize is, oh. Um, Hmm, maybe I I do want to break through that, right? So there's this desire to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the first place to start. And the other thing, Shonda, that I've been working with, and I, I didn't talk about this in my book, but if, if any of your listeners have written a book, we all, you always know when you write the first one, you, you're writing the second one in your head. So this has to be something that's going to be in the that's next true book. For me. Maybe that's <laughs> Is that your true? Experience. That wasn't my experience. We'll have to come back I'm to I'm ready that to one. go. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm like, all right, let's do another one. So, yes, maybe I qualify as that high achiever as well. <laughs> Um, and so, um, so something I've been thinking a lot about is this idea of a grading system. And I think maybe some of your listeners could really appreciate this is that if we put grades on what we're doing at work, so we put an like subject matter expertise, right? All of that, being able to put out fires in the middle of the night, let's just give ourselves an A plus, right? Let's just like put a grade on it, right? How good are we at that Grade and um, this has actually really, really helped me um, be able to prioritize. And I actually asked myself, okay, so take that place that doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere, um, but yet I'm really, really good at it, and I keep relying on it, and be willing to get a B in it, like literally. And then, so the first thing that's going to come up for you is like. <gasps> oh my gosh, that feels terrible, yeah. right? Like I actually prefer to get an A, right? I would rather get an A. So then the question that we can ask ourselves after that is like, okay, well, I get that you would rather get an A. And so then we sort of look at the thing that we're missing, which is, um, you know, maybe an, like an actual title or 100K more or um, being able to have more influence at our organization. And then you sort of look at that and you say, okay, but by getting an A in this, I'm, I'm saying no to all of that. So then you just sort of loosen the reins a little bit and you say, okay, well, what would a, what would a B look like? And here is where it gets so fun is for most high achieving women, our B is somebody else's A, right? Like, come on, seriously. So what we do is we start to, we start to just let go of certain things that we wanted to have perfect, that we wanted to cross all the T's and then we lean into other things, other areas, building relationships with your CEO, actually taking on a project that might be more high profile in front of the leadership team, but could also not be at all in your subject matter expertise so that then you really have to lead at high level. You can't be in the weeds in this project. I mean, it's just like I almost get goosebumps. I get so excited for these women as to what they'll actually be able to do when they're not relying on their subject matter expertise. Mm -hmm. And so 
this grading system, I think, really helps for people who work their entire life in grades. Right. Like that's what we're doing. We're overachieving. We're trying to get the best score. And then, you know, as we get older in our career, we realize the best score doesn't always produce the best result, namely because other people don't care about that score. They're like, great, you got an A plus in that. It's not it's not the value that we need here. What we need here is this other area. Yeah, that's so great. It reminds me of working with teenagers and, you know, say high schoolers in the therapy office who are perfectionists and who, you know, really just knock themselves out wanting to get all A pluses. And we literally Mm -hmm. will say to them as therapists, okay, you have to sit with the discomfort and get that, put in the effort for a B or a B plus. And, but then, you know, to help them see which they can at that time, the long view, which in 10 years from now, you're nobody, like you're saying, nobody will have cared whether you got the B plus or the A plus, you know, you are doing, now you're able to sleep and have a more well-rounded life and that kind of thing. And, and so in some ways it's, it's very similar because you're talking about opening up space and energy for the actions and the tasks and, and responsibilities that will get them to the positions they want. I love that, Shonda. Thank you for that. You know, for me, it's been very experiential and I love hearing the other side of it because I can totally relate to that. Yes, I think a lot of us can. All right. So (laughs) so it's part of, I guess, um, helping the women that you work with sit with this discomfort and having to have them test it out, right? To say it does feel incredibly uncomfortable, test it out. There's also freedom along with the discomfort, freedom and giving and dropping some of those balls, right? And letting some of Mm -hmm. them, you know, go. And then also shifting their attention to those other areas that they want to be working on. Yeah. And when um, I always recommend, I think in court, in the corporate world, we tend to feel that it's either do or die. And we, we actually have this uh, irrational, but I think all fear is, um, is great. Actually, I think fear is wonderful to notice, but it's, it's also an irrational fear that at any moment we will literally be fired. Mm. Right. Like it's almost like that is the thing that's just screaming at us. So if I drop this, then I will be fired. I will be fired. And so I'm also working with my clients on kind of unpacking that truth. And then what are the strategic risks that we can take along the way so that we don't get fired. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, it's like, this is not my goal is that we drop an entire project and then all of a sudden now, but, um, here, here would be a great example of an actual action that somebody would do is, um, there was a woman inside of executive ahead of time who was, had clearly taken on too much. Um, and she wanted to have a conversation with her boss, but she wasn't quite ready to do that and talk about, you know, delegating some of it. And, and so she waited and then she waited and she kept working and kept working and kept working. And then she waited and waited. And then it was about two days before the project ended. And she all of a sudden just like gives it all to her boss. It's like, I can't do this. You know, it's too much. Da, 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 da. And her boss is like, why didn't you come to me two weeks ago? Mm. And, and I think in that moment, she just had this huge realization that she did that, right? She, she didn't have to. She could have involved her boss very, very early on. Not only would that have helped her see what she could let go of, let your boss help you prioritize, let your boss help you figure out how you're going to get through this. Because if early on you're having those conversations and you're saying to the leadership team, like, look, I am somebody who prioritizes." 
I don't drop the ball, but not because I'm going to put in 80 hours, but I don't drop the ball because I can think ahead. I have a long view, mm. right? I am able to prioritize. That is the type of person that they need in executive leadership positions anyway. So we're involving other people in this. We're not deciding where we're going to let let loose at in certain areas um, on our own. And so that's how we can mitigate that risk a little bit along the way is really involve other people in this process. And then they start to see us as somebody who really takes responsibility, but responsibility in another way. Our old way of responsibility is doing it all ourselves. And this is, I take responsibility in that I speak up, I engage, I communicate where my challenges are. Okay. So... So talk to talk to us more about that because that's part of your process and your framework is uh, speaking up and being assertive about the position you would like to have, what you are going mm. for. So you really are being um, – you're putting it out there so it's not just in your head, and that's part of what you're talking about too. So when you're um, upfront about it and put it out there, then everybody knows what you're hoping to get, and then they can help you along the way too. Well, hopefully, right, if you have a helpful <laughs> – supportive, uh, manager boss, but absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So many things. So everything that I'm doing inside of executive ahead of time is uh, two sides of the coin. So one is actually working on being a better executive leader. So shifting. So what we've talked about so far is almost becoming a better leader, right? This is, this is just how leaders need to act and scale. And this is how they are able to do the work that they really need to do at those higher executive positions, right? They're just going to be better at their job. And then the other side is what you just alluded to, which is how do we advocate for ourselves and our career journey? And we're doing both at the same time. And as a, as a therapist, I think it would be easy to recognize that everything is intertwined. And so the work that we do on our own professional development makes us a better executive leader. The work that I have done on my own professional development has made me a better business owner, a better leader in my business, right? It's just, it's always intertwined. And so to that point, um, I use a process called 3X Your Vision. So what we're doing is we're having conversations about where we want to be three promotions from now. So another reason why women can feel stuck is because they're literally looking for that next promotion. So let's say you're having conversations with your boss about um, – about becoming a senior director. So you're a director, you want to become a senior director, your boss, now we'll throw another layer, your boss is a senior director, right? So essentially you're saying, I'd like your job, but you're not leaving, right? So, okay, how awkward is that conversation? You said, um, you know, that is if you have a boss who supports you, but let's say that her boss does support her, well, what kind of advice is her boss going to be able to give her to become a senior director? It really ends there. It's sort of like, well, keep doing what you're doing. Um, wait for performance review. You know, um, you're doing great. Uh, maybe um, I'm planning on leaving in two years. I'm planning on getting a promotion or I'm going to move over here in two years. So right. really, it's like this daunting no, it doesn't go anywhere type conversation. And so what I do is I say, okay, so you're a director and let's say you would like to be a CMO someday, right? 
three promotions from now. So you'd have to be actually that'd be four, right? So you would like to be a, a senior director, a vice president, a senior vice president, and you're going to be a CMO someday. So now you're going to have a conversation with your boss, who is a senior director herself, about what it would take to become a CMO. Now you and her have just become peers. Basically, you're talking to her as a woman who might also want to become a CMO someday. And you're talking about, wonder what it would take for us to become CMO. I wonder what skills I would need to develop. I wonder what relationships I would need to build. Now you're able to get real impactful career advice because it's not a yes, no answer. You're not actually asking your boss to make you CMO, right? Like there's nothing she can do to make you CMO. But what she could do is help you become a senior director, right? And so now it's just really softening the whole conversation um, and really just making it about being ambitious, wanting to do more in your career. At that point, the conversation inevitably has to turn into the why conversation. You can't just talk about becoming a CMO without talking about why you would want to do it. I guess what I'm thinking as you're talking about this it comes back to comes back to if you have a supportive uh, supervisor manager, who, or she could be completely threatened by this conversation. Like, yeah, you know, I don't want to have more competition here. This is what I want, sort of thing. So, how do you help women work through that? I actually ignore the boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I mean by that is I don't spend a lot of energy wondering if my boss is supportive or not supportive or threatened or not threatened. What I do is I assume that my boss is not actually the decision maker of my career. And, um, and what that instantly does is starts to think about how can I build relationships with the other members of the executive team? Because those are the people, if, if your boss's boss's boss comes to her and says, you know, Shonda needs to be promoted, it's happening. Right. Excuse me? Like, hands down, right? There's going to be a way. And, and so we can really, and also let's say if you don't have a great relation or no, wait, let's say if you do have a great relationship with your boss, it's easy to say if you don't, because then you're like, well, I need to find other avenues. But if you do have a great relationship with your boss, you're going to put all of your energy in her. You're going to rely on her and you're going to forget about building all those relationships with the rest of the executive team. And so if I just say, forget it, I just say, continue doing what you're doing with your boss. You know, you can bring up the CMO thing. You cannot bring up the CMO thing. You know, definitely let your boss probably know about your career ambitions. And then let's focus on everybody else. Because when you do become a senior director or vice president, you're going to need those relationships with everybody else at your organization anyway. And so it really helps you build a career in a way that's not so um, black and white. Like, I got the promotion. Now I have to figure it out. It's like, no, we're figuring it out along the way so that when we get the promotion, we're successful. Mm, okay. So I guess what I'm hearing is not getting so stuck where women, and I'm going to generalize, but women can be people pleasers or wanting to not hurt feelings uh, with with the boss, right? So it's sort of like, okay, whatever her position is, good or bad or helpful or unhelpful, I'm going to manage that and, 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 and be assertive, but also really go outside of, of that as well and, and, and um, build these other relationships. 
Yeah. And what I love about this, when you just said that, I said, yeah, people please your boss, like people please her, make her happy. You know, <laughs> people please her all you want. Like, cause it's almost like, it's, it's almost like we feel when we're, when we're starting to fix ourselves, especially like, cause what I was talking about before alludes to perfectionism, right? That's the grading system. That's a perfectionist quality, people pleasing. So again, these are assignments that we're given as women that we need to be better, that we need to fix ourselves, that we need to, you know, and I just say, um, let's go ahead and do it because what happens is you are more likely to people please your boss. Like it's it's going to be a natural tendency. That's your everyday relationship. But then it, even if you just even if you just think, wonder what it would be like to have a 15-minute conversation and and I teach a process called 15-minute ally meetings with my SVP. And instantly what happens for women is this, like, I, I see them, they go, they sit up straighter, their shoulders go back. They're like, yeah, I'm going to get in that room with my SVP. And now I'm going to start showing them who I really am. Right. And that breaks that layer almost automatically of the people pleasing. Cause you kind of know, you can't go into a conversation with your SVP and do some of your traditional habits. And, um, and so it's like, it's this beautiful, magical thing that starts to happen just when you engage in conversations with very important people. Um, and then if you can do it where you're not just so nervous and tight and can't show anything, you know, any authentic sides of yourself, if you can do it from that place of breaking down that, um, barrier that you might be putting up as well. So now you can be both authentic and powerful in that conversation that's going to work wonders on that relationship and then continue, continue people pleasing your boss. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Got it. So, and I, I like what you just said and how, how can women cultivate more of that staying in those, the and of powerful and uh, authentic. Oh, I love that. I, I love that so much. Again, this is the exploration I'm going on as I think about my next book and mm. it's basically uh, so uh, let me tell you a little bit of a story. So I interview a lot of leaders for my podcast and a lot of underrepresented leaders, people who don't look like the rest of the room. So men and women of color and who aren't traditionally the people who you see in higher level positions. And I would hear consistently over and over again, how did you get, what were your secrets of success? How did you get where you are? And they would always use the word authentic. And it was happening so regularly, and I am an investigator of what does that mean, though? Because in truth, what I see is too authentic means you don't get promoted, right? Because it's like for a lot of women, that means really talking about your kids and, and talking about how hard things are at home and, and being like, I'm overwhelmed, right? Like that mm -hmm. kind of authenticity, which okay. um, doesn't help us <laughs> get promoted. Uh -huh. And, and what they would do when they unpacked it was it sounded a little bit more like I stepped into my power. I stopped caring about what they thought. So I have this saying that I tell everyone, which is your organization needs you in the C-suite more than you need them. Mm. 
So what they did is they started to just really own the value that they had as a leader. And they were like, if I'm not going to get it here, I'm going to get it elsewhere. I'm going to build those relationships. I'm scheduling that conversation with my SVP. I'm going to stop being in that place that's afraid, that's scared, that's not sure of myself and just really own the fact that I am an incredible, powerful leader. And that for them looked authentic. And so what I'm doing is I'm changing the way that we're defining authentic, that we're really understanding that our truest, most authentic self is incredibly powerful. Mm. And if you look back at your career or moments that you're proud of, oftentimes it's when you stood in your power, mm, right? right? And in, even if that meant being incredibly vulnerable, right? Even if that meant, so it was that vulnerable side of authenticity, right? It didn't mean being powerful does not mean getting A pluses in everything. It's right. being willing to get the B, right? Mm -hmm. That is powerful. Mm -hmm. And and so really transferring that conversation into how can we show up and be authentically powerful, be vulnerable, be open, but in that place of, of I have value and I have something to offer here and I am going to ask for more. Right, right. Um, and I hear, so I feel like there are a couple of components to that. It's I'm imagining you, when you work with people, it's, it's having them have awareness of, I'm talking as a therapist here, but like body awareness. So kind of like calming your body and your nervous system down so you can come from that calm place and wise place and authentic place. Um, and then a bit of confidence, which often is originating, originated by action. I mean, so it's like you, you mm -hmm. give your clients that people that you work with and talk about this in your book about taking action. So there's some very specific steps and if we focus on that and keep taking action in an authentic way, that just keeps, that begets more confidence and, and stepping into our power, I'm assuming. Absolutely. I love that so much because I have a whole module it called managing your emotions inside of executive ahead of time. And what we're doing is really noticing those emotions. And I actually find the most pervasive emotion <laughs> to be entitlement. Mm -hmm. um, so we think that managing our emotions, and I think that's what you were getting at with the body language and things like that. We think that managing our emotions is like, don't blow up at the boss or don't, you know, don't cry in front of the boss. And that's sort of where our brain goes is I have to hold it together. Um, but I also really want women to question their entitlement. And what I mean by that is, is that it, it, in the body, you know, it looks tight. It looks angry. It looks frustrated. It looks defeated. And um, it's just, yeah, very tight. That's kind of like I'm making like faces and stuff with <laughs> Shonda here. And so it's like, and so what we can start to do is first notice like, wow, I'm really judging. I'm really coming into this conversation annoyed, frustrated. And what I want them to do is to understand that that the first thing is, is you are not entitled to a promotion just because you work hard. Mm -hmm. A promotion is not a reward for your hard work. And you can realize, oh, I didn't, I was getting A's in the wrong areas. <laughs> so I'm not entitled to this promotion. And I think when we can break that down and we can sort of be humble enough to say, well, what can I do? What can I do to build these relationships while at the same time 
we're also understanding our value and knowing that if it doesn't work out here, we're going to go somewhere else because Mm -hmm. I have another philosophy, which is always be interviewing. And so that's giving us options. And, um, it's not like I'm out of here kind of attitude, but more of like, oh yeah, I have done the work here, the real work. I've gotten A's in the areas where I need to be getting A's because now I understand the process and it's still not working for me. There seems to be a disconnect. And so now I'm, am going to go elsewhere, but you bring that into your interview process and then you have much more likelihood of having success at the next company. So that's a lot of the work that I do uh, with, especially with high achieving women is that there's a lot of rolling their eyes. That's where I notice at first. I'm like, wow, you just rolled your eyes three times in that question, you know, (laughs) like a lot of disgust, you know, and they think they're on zoom. So they're like, I'm not, you know, I, I would never do that in front of my boss. Well, yeah, but this attitude, this energy is still there mm. and it's definitely not serving you. Even if the other person can't feel it, it's not helping you get promoted. It's not helping you get what you really deserve to be getting. Right. So I guess what I'm hearing in there is they may need to work if they're coming with that sense of entitlement and frustration. Um, it's this sense of curiosity. Can I bring my sense of curiosity mm-hmm. to the situation? Like, where are things not panning out the way I want them to? How can I make the change grow? All of those things. Yeah. So I have a great example of one of my clients who was told that, oh, actually, so she was in line to become SVP and everybody said that she would be SVP. And then when the SVP position came, became available, they just automatically hired an outside candidate. And she was told that, well, you didn't really want that job anyway. Don't worry. That wasn't quite what was set up for you. And she could have been incredibly defeated in that moment, incredibly frustrated. And of course she was. And I allow a lot of space for feeling disappointment. Mm -hmm. And there's a little confused. I'm like, you know, you're allowed to cry. You're actually allowed to be mad the whole weekend. Like be mad, like be, be very frustrated this entire weekend. I'm good with that. But I also want you to know the reason that you didn't get promoted is because they didn't perceive you as an executive, right? It's not because of your ability and it's not even because they were bad people. It's not because the company doesn't support you. It's because they didn't perceive you as an executive. And then she just like, what? And I was like, all right, so let's work on that. Yes. How can we start to shift perception? Which again, like I said, it's all intertwined. Once we shift perception, she's actually better at her job. And then she easily within six months got promoted to SVP. And so it was just like, oh, it was just a given. And whereas she could have jumped ship, that would have been a perfect opportunity for her to just be like, I don't need this. Right, right. So to take a moment, not not react, process your feelings as we therapists would allow and then like you're saying and then okay now what um and so talk mm-hmm. about your executive ahead of time framework you're you're talking about different pieces here and there and, and so and talk to talk to us more about that um executive presence that comes with all of that yeah absolutely because you talked a little bit about confidence and the action of confidence right and i do believe that confidence is not something you create it's something you work your way into and then all of a sudden you look back and you're like wow i am way more confident than i used to be and it's like why because i had the conversations i did the things that felt hard and now i realize i came out the other side and now i'm confident and so 
there is there are three steps to this process, and I think I've I've hit on the first two steps, and then now I'll talk about fifteen minute ally meetings. But the first step of the executive ahead of time process is to get ourselves out of the weeds. So as long as we're solving everybody else's problems, we're putting out fires in the middle of the night, we'll never be seen as an executive and we'll also be exhausted. So it works both ways. The second thing is 3Xing our vision, really understanding and having conversations based on where we're headed. And it also works to motivate us because when we're grounded in our why, we're much more motivated to go after something rather than just like that immediate next thing. And then the third piece is 15-minute ally meetings. And what we're doing there is building confidence. So they're going to schedule a series of 15-minute meetings with anybody and everybody. So this includes your CEO. If you can get on your CEO's calendar, if they're available to you, get on their calendar. Includes the executive team. It includes your boss. Um, And basically the rule in terms of who you're going to schedule these meetings with, it has to be at least a peer or above, um, almost not even the peers, right? It's, It's always going up. I'm learning, I'm teaching them how to manage up, how to have those influential conversations at the top. But also the key part is building allies because if they don't know who you are, then they can't support you in your career aspirations. And they it's not even just about supporting you. It's also they can't promote you because they, they literally don't know if you can do the job at the next level. They just have no evidence. Um, and the reason why this builds confidence is because, so we're talking about the inside out approach to confidence, which is not that we put on airs and pretend that we're confident and then all of a sudden we become confident. We actually take action from the inside and then we somehow notice that we're confident. So the inclination when you're meeting with your SVP is to talk about work. So you're like, okay, I have to impress him. So I'm going to talk about work. And that actually does the opposite of confidence. It, it doesn't build confidence. It makes you feel very uncomfortable and, and, and have a desire to never do that again. <laughs> right. You're like, oh my God, that was really hard. Right. It's like, of course it was hard. You just did like basically a 15 minute presentation to your SVP and then mm. he didn't even want it. And he's like, oh, what, why are you talking to me about work and stuff like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Um, go away, you know? And so that doesn't work. But what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about anything but work. So we're getting uh, advice from this person and we're getting to know them. We're telling them about our 3X vision, right? So that's Mm -hmm. not talking about work when you're talking about your why. We're talking about why we were inspired to come to this organization in the first place. We're talking about anything other than our job. Mm -hmm. So it's work related, but it's not our job, our day in, day out. When you start to do that, when you have a real, authentic conversation with your SVP, you want to do more. You're like, oh, that was amazing. And so now that confidence builds. And that's the key to unlocking that is really how many 15-minute conversations can we do? And once the women start doing this, this is when they're just like, boom, 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 boom. Everything Mm -hmm. starts falling into place. And do you recommend that they co- go in with a few questions of advice or anything that they are hoping to get from 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 this meeting? Yeah. So basically what we're doing in terms of agenda is we're setting a big picture goal. So we're saying, okay, what's the goal of this 15 minutes? If I could walk away, get it, you know, understanding more about XYZ, then that would be a great 
goal, right? So we're, we're going at it from that place. And then we could say, okay, let's come up with two questions. So remember, it's 15 minutes. So as overachievers, we're not overthinking this. We're coming up with two really good curiosity-based questions. And I actually have a questions a download PDF, a free PDF of great questions that you can ask. And I'm happy to share it with your audience. But basically, it's what are those curious questions that get us into that higher, like learning about leadership? What are their words of wisdom? What were their secrets to success? These are the questions that we're preparing for the meeting. And then we're also maybe jotting down one thing that I would like to show about myself. So a great place to start would be that 3X vision. Mm -hmm. And the first meeting quite honestly, it's the hardest to schedule because it's getting over that hump, but it's the easiest to do. I mean, you can imagine if you've never had this conversation with your SVP before, there's actually, all you need to do is think of two questions and then the 15 minutes is over, right? It's just, it's quick. And then, but the, what in that conversation, we're thinking about the next one. And so we're looking for what I call breadcrumbs, so what was interesting in that conversation that you would like to know more about in the next conversation? And so now each conversation is building. Oh my gosh, give it three 15 minute meetings. And now your SVP is like, Hey, why isn't Susan in this room? She needs to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know? Yep. Yep. Okay. So a lot of this is really communication, building relationships with, with that authentic curiosity and mm-hmm. but also somewhat strategically and so how do you help women manage because I, I'm imagining some women get stuck with strategy might feel a little um, disingenuous or a little manipulative is strong but sort of that's the mm-hmm. flavor so yeah how do great you I love that So politics is another thing that I think women do themselves a disservice of completely avoiding, right? Mm -hmm. So we could say, like, let's just say sales, right? So um, I don't like doing sales because it seems manipulative and and this and that. And then, you know, and I felt that way at first. Like, I was like, I don't feel like offering, asking for the sale. That seems weird. But you really have to look to that 3X vision and be like, okay, the more direct I can be is actually helping my client, right? The more I can actually, as a therapist, I'm sure the more I can actually tell them what they need to hear instead of what they want to hear might actually help them progress, right? So it's it's that we're not, we're not manipulating in that sense of like um, pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. We're actually being incredibly genuine but it's just not what we're used to doing. And so the first thing that I will say to women is that we work for corporations. There are politics. There is a reason that you're not getting promoted, right? Again, I say that most of the time the reason is that though it's twofold, we're not seen as an executive. But when we don't look like the rest of the room, there is a certain protocol to building that trust. And so that's why for 15-minute ally meetings are even more important for people who don't identify the similar characteristics as the rest of the room where trust is just built like because you look like them or because you you go to the same country club, right? And so when we don't have that, we do have to take some steps. 
And once we kind of just get over that, right, stop rolling our eyes because it's harder, harder, you know, or whatever, then we start to reap the benefits and we really see, oh my gosh, yes, that felt a little awkward and uncomfortable at first, but now I'm like, no, because now I'm actually included in that meeting because the SVP called me in and now I really feel like I'm making the impact. And so I don't even care if I have to um, schedule a few 15 minute conversations. I don't even care if it feels political, right? So we have to kind of embrace that we do work for companies that where there is some sort of politics involved, mm -hmm. but I want you to be able to be in that executive position as you. And so I think the dark side of politics is I'm going to have this 15 minute meeting and then I'm going to show that SVP how amazing I am. Right. So now I'm putting on this like mm. false attitude yes. and then I might get promoted, mm. but now I have to keep up that attitude and mm. now I'm just miserable. Oof, right. So we cool. always have to bring ourselves. Yeah, it's yeah. just awful. And it happens to women all the time. Um, I had a beautiful conversation with the women inside of my advanced mastermind, and we were talking about board seats. And they were talking about how in California in particular with women, um, the requirement to put women on boards, what we're noticing is that a lot of women are getting put on boards and then being like completely shut down the entire time. And so they're like, well, I don't really want to get a board seat as the token woman, right? And that doesn't feel good. And so it's all about we're interviewing them. You can turn down those board seats if you feel like the environment is not going to be great. But it's also how do I build those relationships on the side? So, yes, uh, it's politics involved, but I'm really bringing myself and I can be myself and I can whatever that means to you, you know, in that authentic, powerful way, not in an, uh, a fake, powerful way. Right, right. Which... It feels like it brings me back full circle to what you started with is really we need to stay in touch with our why. And it's, it's all this internal personal growth work that's so important because that keeps us grounded. And then we don't get lost in the, you know, just three uh, xing our vision for just the, the mere purpose because I said I was going to do it. You're always sort of coming back to being in touch with why. I'm, I'm imagining And that's... you know what I love about women is – so for me, and again, this is a stereotype, but passion is in the forefront and passion has, has made me not get jobs before because I'm a little too passionate or whatever, but it's, it's always there. And it's been my struggle too, because I beat myself up about it, or maybe I got too invested or maybe, you know, this or that, right? So I get really incredibly emotional, but what I, the reason why I love what you just said is because. It is really difficult for women to own that they want to become a CMO someday, right? And um, they will argue with me and I, I kind of, they're like, no, that's not what I want, you know, and what they're basically saying is, I don't want that role if it looks like this, mm. right? So I don't want it if I'm the token woman. I don't want, and they're fiery, man. They'll be like, I am not going to take that promotion if it looks like this. And so then I'm like, great, let's not do that. Yes. Right. Yeah. Let's find the position that is perfect for you. And it might still be called a CMO and it might still pay 500 K a year. 
Like, like, right. but let's do it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, um, that's really exciting. And I just love the intuition that traditionally we have as women to put up that big red flag that says, uh, 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 I'm not going out after this. If I'm just going to have power over people and manipulate the same system that, that I am being oppressed as part of. Right. right so, right. But recognizing when we're doing that, recognizing that's, mm-hmm. again, that self-awareness of knowing I'm shutting myself down um, because of this and how can I work around that or, or how can I, you know, maneuver around that rather than just getting shut down and giving up. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I love it. Yeah. What else did I want to say about that? Because Oh, so 3Xing your vision. I want to come back to that. So some women, some people, I'm always talking about women, but some people may uh, be very clear. I know what I want. Mm-hmm. My, this is what my 3X vision is, and boom. And some are like, mm, I don't know. How do, you, or do you have any exercises, or how do, how do people get clear on that? Okay, so the first thing that we're going to do is just call it your C-suite title. And so a lot of women, like I said, will be like, but I don't know if I want to become a, a, a CMO. And I'm like, okay, just write it down. Right. So just like write down your C-suite title and it's basically just based in your org, you know, like, is it a C, is it called a CSO or is it called a CFO or a CIO? Right. We're just going to name it. Right. And they're totally not bought into it. Right. It's like, this would be for a skeptical woman, right. As you're saying. Uh And so they're, they're just like, okay, fine, Stacey, but I don't really see how this helps me. And then we get to the second piece, which is, so so why don't you, why are you so resistant to it? And, and they'll be like, well, because I can't do it at this company. And I'm like, okay. And so it could be a literal can't because, um, you know, the CIO has been there forever and like, it's like, I'm not, or it's an all white male executive team. And I, I would just like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be a part of this or it's, they have an attitude, right? It's like, I don't want to be a part of this or the culture here just isn't really my fit. I'm okay where I am, but higher up, I'd be like, no way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's start to recognize all of the reasons that you would say no to a C-suite position. What is really the reason? And so now we can start to get to the other pieces of the 3X vision, which is the impact that we really want to be making. What, you know, um, I'm sure that this this tool works the same way in your field as well, where the things we're saying no to, what's the yes there, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the opposite of that? So it's like our no's are very clear. We Mm -hmm. can say those and then be like, okay, but so then what are you looking for? And it would be like, well, I want to be a C-suite officer if it's an inclusive environment, if it's a, um, if it's a company under 500 people, you know, so we, now we can start to name it. And the thing is, is that, Our goal with the 3X vision is the word vision. So I define vision and goals differently. And so a vision is not, we're not going to know how we're going to get there. We have no real understanding how we're going to get there. And then we set micro goals, which will be more immediate, right? So I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to do this, right? And so I think what the problem that women are also running into is the 3X vision. They're like, well, but if I'm not really going to be a CIO, then I'm not going to write it down. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, let's, let's play with this a little bit. And, and what it also uncovers for them is also the the definite, I had a woman who used her 3X vision in executive ahead of time to quit 
the entire corporate world and start her own business. Right. Like it was, she's like, I think I knew it. But when I had to write down, become CIO, I was like, the no (laughs) was so visceral. Uh, And it was like, oh my gosh, that's right. The person that was supposed to start her own business 10 years ago was screaming louder than the CIO. mm -hmm. And so she was like, I'm not going to sit in this anymore. And then she left. And so she used executive ahead of time to actually start her own business. And I thought it was fantastic. But unless we really own that, when we look at that and say, okay, what is really coming up for us? Why wouldn't we want that? Or why could we want that? It's, um, it's going to bring up our next steps, what we need to do now. Right. I love that. And so unpacking it, and I love the kind of, so what we're saying no to then what's the yes. And then is it. Is it possible if not here somewhere else, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. yeah. You can't get it here, mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay, why should aspiring leaders understand their leadership style, and how can we help them do this? We were ta- we've talked about so we know, talked- executive, but go ahead, yeah, leadership. Oh yeah. So what what were you going to add to that? We've talked about executive. I want to understand. No, no, you, you go. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so. If you're going to stop doing what you're good at, your area of subject matter expertise. So this goes back to the beginning of the conversation. You have to know what you're going to do instead. And so for a lot of women, they feel like, well, soft skills, executive leadership, relationship building is very squishy. And so it doesn't make sense to me. It's not definable. I don't understand what an A would be in that area. Um, So... If you don't know what you're going to do instead, it makes it really hard to let go of what you're good at. So I look at leadership style as to being the what we're going to do instead. And so when we really understand who we are as a leader outside of our subject matter expertise, now we can start to lead in that way. That will be our driver. That will be like, oh, okay, I understand what I'm doing. I am really building collaboration. That is that is what I do best. I am a collaborative leader. And so I am going to work on my collaboration skills at a higher and higher and higher and higher level, right? And so it's not about that subject matter expertise, like I understand how to do X, Y, Z and get that accomplished, but really, how can I be a better collaborative leader? And mm-hmm. so it sort of takes you out of what you've been doing all along. But the leadership style, I say, is something that we have cultivated since we were a very young child. It is the person who saw the uh, person, in, in my case, being excluded, right? And I am a leader that lifts other people up, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I am a person that is an inclusive leader, a person that is always looking for how can we do things differently and it doesn't have to be this way, right? And so when I really focus on that, it also motivates me to do more of that. I'm like, oh, you know, I think I would enjoy my work week more if I was doing more of that instead of this subject matter expertise that I'm doing. So it gives you permission to move and to shift into something else. And then the second piece is, is we talked a little bit about advocacy of your promotion and having conversations. Um, One big thing that we can do is talk about our 3X vision, 
It makes it easier to have a conversation around. Um, the other thing we can do is we can sprinkle in um, our leadership style. And so what I mean by that is you're having a conversation with your boss, say, and you'll be like, you know, one of my core values is collaboration or as a collaborative leader or um, I was collaborating, like we're literally just using the word collaborating in a lot of different sentences. And so now your boss starts to see you as a collaborative leader mm. instead of just a subject matter expert. And mm. I say just, but subject matter experts are amazing. Like, you know, I'm not saying that, but as we're transitioning into higher levels of leadership. And so she really starts to see you as that. So we're creating a brand for ourselves, one that's based in who we already are. And, but we have to start saying those words out loud because that's how other people are going to start to see us. So it doesn't look like um, my leadership style is, you right, know, right. just so you know, my right. leadership style, it looks more like, you know, I was thinking about my team and how we could collaborate better. Right. Yes. And then maybe your next one-on-one, -on -one, you kind of give another example of collaboration. Like I was so proud of how such and such stepped up and then they really took over this whole project. And I was like, wow, they're really collaborating. <laughs> it could feel a little weird at first, um, maybe fall into that manipulative category, but the outcome is you being seen as the leader you want to be seen as. So that's always the most important thing for me. Right. Right. And what are some other leadership styles besides collaboration? Um, you know, like I, I pointed to inclusion, resourceful, uh, um, results driven, uh, client focused, right? You can really think about brand as mm -hmm. being like, okay, what if I was going to be adjective, 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 and then the word leader at the end, what uh -huh. would that be? And um, I actually use a process um, called appreciative inquiry, which you might be familiar with. Um, and, and this, that whole process of appreciative inquiry and looking back at times in our life where things worked and it gives us examples of how we can create that in the future, right? Because we've, we actually have evidence. We've like, I've succeeded in this before. Mm. And so I ask them a series of questions literally based out of appreciative inquiry, where it's like, when you were at your best as a leader, when you had success, when it felt easy mm -hmm. and they can always point to a time. And then we look at when were you at your worst as a leader? Mm -hmm. When did it not feel easy? Yeah. And then that's how we're coming up with those adjectives to be able to define ourselves, right? So we're looking at actual things that have happened for us in our career. Maybe we weren't aware of what we were doing at the time, but now we're defining it. And then that allows us to move forward and really understand what our leadership style is. Right. Okay, great. And so I think keeping that 3X vision in mind, too, you're, you're also what sort of leader uh, do I need to be in that position? And so, so I'm guessing part of that is what well, do I already have and what do I need? Yeah, to but here's to? the, here's the crux though. So as soon as you said that, I instantly went again, because <laughs> what we do is we say, okay, but we're looking at the wrong examples because it's the CMO look, doesn't look like us. Isn't that type of leader? Our current CMO is not that our current examples of, of CMOs are not 
my leadership style. And so I actually completely separate the two. And so what I would do, I guess what I would do to your point is then I would insert leadership style to CMO. So instead of like, okay, what do I need to do to become CMO? Because now we're instantly going to go into putting on the wrong out, you know, it's like the wrong like person, Uh right? Because Uh we feel like we need to be something, but how can I be a collaborative CMO, right? Insert leadership style in front of CMO. And then now we're going to define that for ourselves along the way. It just really keeps us out of, you know, um, all of the stuff that doesn't serve us in the corporate world, which is that we have to do and be just like everybody else. Right. Right. Gotcha. So yeah, maybe I didn't quite say it right, but I also definitely That's okay. know, where, know where you can get, where you can get pulled off track a little bit with that because it's, yeah. this, it's this other entity when really it's, it's vision envisioning myself three X up in that three X vision, yes. but it's me. And so, and how is my oh. best self coming across that way? Right. So like, yeah. Yeah. And it might mean that you got to drop your shoulders and sit up a little bit straighter and, you know, and like be, that's that authentic power, right? right. You know, there is yeah. a, a, that powerful element to it. So, um, but it really is, if, if it's not going to be you, I don't want it either. Like it'll work for a little while. Yeah, you can oh. do it. You can fake it, but that's Sounds not my desire. Exhausting. And- yeah, exactly. And we've been <laughs> yes, there. We've yes. done that job and it yeah. is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So tell us about your accountability process, uh, what it is and what it helps with. Awesome. So I actually have, um, you've heard of smart goals and, um, specific measurable actionable results driven and time bound. And th- that's great. Um, and then I have another process that I do in creating your promotion blueprint. And this, this is what sets them up to be accountable. And it's literally a one pager. It starts out with the three X vision. So that's at the top and you're just writing it down. We've already done that work, right? This is in module five. So we've been working together in executive ahead of time for five weeks. And now we're getting into this accountability process. So they've done the vision. The next step is uh, values. And so we've done values exercises. We understand our core values. And I, we, you said something that I wanted to bring up, so I'll just do it here. You talked about growth and professional growth, and I always tell them to write growth as a core value. Mm. So I allow them to create their own core values, but then I pretty much point out, like, you wouldn't be in this program if you didn't have growth as a core value. Right. So let's just play around with it. And part of the reason is that it's, it's hard to do the work. It, it does feel easier to have, be head down at your desk and do your job, even though you're, it's hard inside. It, it feels like less effort. Yeah. Um, and so I want to remind them that the work that we're doing is challenging and we're growing. Right. And so, and they're like, yeah, I want to grow. That is more important to me. So then the next piece is we've got our three X vision and then we're going to look at short term. So in the next three to four months, what are the outcomes that would need to happen to get us closer to that 3x vision? So a great example would be if I wanted to become CFO and I was several steps down from that, maybe I start building a relationship with my current CFO, 
right? That's Mm -hmm. a great place to start. So it could be, you know, that I have a better ongoing relationship with my current CFO. That would be a measurement as something that a tangible result in the next three or four months that gets us to that. And we're also talking about on this document action items, but they're really laid out like one sentence action items. They're not so complicated. Mm -hmm. We can look at it and we can be reminded very quickly. And um, one of the key elements to this in its simplicity is that it's always grounded in 3x vision and values. And then we're looking at actions. But the other piece is I really realized a big differentiator between women that get promoted and women who don't are women who focus on their professional development. Like literally, like, like, I mean, how many people just years and years go by where you haven't really thought about what it's going to take to get promoted. Mm. You're waiting for your performance review. You're waiting for your boss to tell you what it's going to take to get promoted. And so this allows them to continuously once a month, we're just going to look at this document, focus on their professional development just once a month. We're going to look at it. It's quick. We just go, oh, yep, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then we just do it. And so that's the beauty of the accountability is that we're constantly looking back at it and remembering the work that we've done. And the other really fun part is when we can start crossing it off. And um, I love talking to clients six months later and they're like, oh. Oh my gosh, I did everything and I have to change because I got the promotion, right? Like it's like amazing and it's Mm. so exciting and so inspiring to look at it and see what you've actually done and accomplished, even when it can feel like I didn't get the promotion. So I haven't accomplished anything. And it's like, no, that's not true. Look at all of these things. You're well on your way to your three X vision. Exactly. And I think we tend to, especially again, coming back to the high achievers, we tend to always be looking forward to what needs to get done and not celebrating and acknowledging all the action steps or, or work we've put in. And so and also mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it can, that accountability process can really help when you are in the weeds and feeling like, well, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, I'll get to that. I don't have time right now to really think about my growth or my professional development um, or let alone take any action steps. It's, it's really making sure you're carving out that time to do that because time will fly by. And before you know it, it's year mm-hmm. after year, like you're saying, and you're still in the same position. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So talk, talk to us and walk us through the three-step evaluation process. Okay, great. So it's another way of taking us out of the emotion of not getting promoted. The You know, like I got passed over. Um, different things like uh, I had to take two steps backwards or I feel like I've lost sight, right? So what we're doing in this evaluation process is looking at what worked, what didn't work and what to do differently. And I think, and this is a challenge for me, so I have to be very transparent, is that when we write things down, then it gets us out of that emotional place, that place that is the the unuseful emotional place, which is saying that something went wrong or this company is just not meant for me, that heavier state. And we can look at it on paper and we can sort of say, okay, well, these things worked. I'm, you know, this is the first time I've actually asked for a raise, (laughs) you know, so that's, so that, that works, right? Um, You know, what didn't work is I got told no. And so next time what I'm going to do is, 
you know, I'm going to maybe have the conversation a little sooner so that it's not right before the deadline or right when they've already allocated funds for all the promotions. And then now I'm asking, right? So we kind of get out of that, like, she didn't appreciate me because I didn't get the raise and more of like, what could I actually have done better? And um, how could I have presented this? How could I have built that relationship sooner? And when we can look at it on paper, and the the paper is the hard part for me, but I've definitely stepped it up 10 times. Like, I Uh love doing these evaluations. It's so helpful. And, um, And get out of our head and really get back on track. And then add those what to do differentlies into your career vision strategy document. So we're like, okay, well, I'm going to put that in the document and I'm really going to start to actually cultivate those relationships and, and start to do things differently. Okay. So it's a, so it's a three-step process when it comes to something that didn't go as planned or as we had hoped mm-hmm. that, that is or did, okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> it could enough. be either, right? Yeah, because okay. you know, you get the promotion and I'd love to see what worked, what didn't if work, what to do differently. To the podcast yeah. and Perfect, you would like right? to obtain continuing okay. education yeah. credit hours from NBCC, yeah. please yeah. check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com. You will first need to click on the show that you just listened to. Then the take this course button from there, you will complete the payment process and a test that you listen to the show in its entirety. After the payment is processed, you that we're going through to kind of evaluate and step back every so often. So anything else on your mind before we wrap up for today that you think is important for clinicians to know? Yeah. So I want to leave with this. As somebody who is not in the corporate world, we can actually believe our clients and what I mean what is mean? my boss yeah. doesn't appreciate me. Uh, my uh, my company only does raises at performance review time. And I think it feels really real. And the your client could be incredibly convincing. <laughs> um, I find it to be not so real. And I find there to be investigation that is worth doing to, to see if it's real. And then sometimes like, so a great example would be my boss doesn't support me. And so I will never get promoted. I will never be happy here. I hate, I hate it here. Right. It's awful. My boss does not support me. Right. That could, that could literally feel like truth and real, right. You're like, Oh yeah, man, she said some really racist things or she's, you know, it's like, well, she clearly doesn't support you. Right. Mm. And while I guess it could be true still, It doesn't mean all the other things, which is I'll never get promoted here. It doesn't mean that um, you're in the wrong field. It doesn't mean you're not meant to be a leader. It doesn't mean this company is wrong for you. It doesn't mean like really anything. And it could just mean that your boss said words. And here's a great example of it, which is, Uh, This is a little bit more benign example is I literally this last week had two women ask their boss for a raise and, um, and their boss kind of looked at them like a little square eyed and just like, what are you even talking about? Like this is outside of promote 
promotion time. Like, you know, and they just kind of were like, no, like, you know, it's just like, it's not going to happen, you know, whatever. Only to be called one week later from HR, two women this last week, and said, your, your raise has been approved. Wow. Yes. And what's happening there is your boss is kind of like, you're catching her off guard. She's like, well, if promotions were that, if raises were that easy, I would have done it, right? Like, what are you even talking about? You can't get a raise, you know, but then now your boss has to put it on paper and and submit it. And then HR is like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're going through the great resignation or we actually really appreciate you or even better, maybe the SVP who you've built a relationship with is like, of course we need to give her a raise. Are you kidding? And so there's all of these factors to what's happening here. So we need to ask. And I think as a, as a clinician, um, what I am offering is don't, don't take it at, at face value. Investigate what's actually happening for your client and really understand maybe how they're holding themselves back. What were the words? How did they ask it? Um, is it is Have they seen evidence of the contrary, which, which often happens? I'll be like, well, has anybody else gotten promoted outside of cycle? And they're like, yes. Okay, well, that's evidence that it does happen. Right. And so it's worth investigating because even if they do leave the company, even if they're like, this is not the right field of work for me, this is I I kind of went on a, a weird tangent for my life for a little while. Right. Even if that's what they decide, it's still worth investigating because they're going to bring that same attitude with them into their next role or whatever it is that they do in their life. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point. It's great because sometimes when we're, you know, as therapists, we're not familiar with corporate or or even if we are not familiar with their organization. And so to kind of get mm-hmm. them to really take a big step back and say, let's just let's just poke some holes in that and see if it. If yeah, it really, exactly. You might be right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. yeah, wonderful. Great. So thank you. And how how can we find you? And also, um, are there any other resources besides your wonderful book, which I highly recommend? Very um, very actionable and easily laid out for people to go through. Um, any other resources you would recommend? Yeah. So my book is Promotions Made Easy: A Step by Step Guide to the Executive Suite. I also have my podcast that you mentioned at the beginning, Maximize Your Career, and I'm always digging into these topics every single week as well. And then something that really came up that I think could be really useful for your audience is I have a resources page on my website. It's stacymayer.com slash resources. And there were two documents that we talked about today. One is my um, downloadable Asking Better Questions, really great questions that you can ask in these 15-minute ally meetings. Mm. But I also have the career vision strategy document, the accountability document on that page. So you can download all of my free resources there. And that's a great way to get um, some more worksheets and ideas, you know, for your clients, but also for yourself as well. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here, sharing all of this important information that we can hopefully help our clients use and apply to their lives. Thank you so much. If you listen to the podcast and you would like to obtain continuing education credit hours from NBCC, please check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com. You will first need to click on the show that you just listened to, then the take this course button. From there, you will complete the payment process and a test that you listen to the show in its entirety. 
After the payment is processed, you will take a 10 question quiz followed by an evaluation so that we can better serve you. After these steps are complete, you will be given your certificate, which can be printed or stored on your therapeuticperspective.com account. If you need any help or support in the process, please email us at therapeuticperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. 